Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss a brief history of U.S. and Iran cyber relations and key takeaways from recent events. Next up, Chinese company ticks off U.S. national security agencies. And finally, our fifth round of Two Truths and a Lie. Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 33, recorded on January 13th, 2020. I'm your co-host, Kelsey. Are we having pun yet? LaBelle. With me, co-host Tark, malware aficionado Sala, and last but not least, Chad, Taco Bell, Crunchwrap Supreme Leader, Anderson. I didn't read that before I read it out loud, and that made it even better. I feel like I got to experience what our listeners hear. Yeah. Every week. Just like Supreme Leader Snopes. That's me. <laughs> Happy 2020, everyone. This is our first episode of the new year. Cheers. Cheers. Our vision has not changed. It is not 2020. We Two- made it another year. Yes. <laughs> Here we are. Chad, thank you so much for being a special guest on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Really pulling off that black beanie right now. Thank you. <laughs> on the power stash. Power stash. Yeah. I'm going for the full Mariner look. You're nailing it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, let's jump right in. And this is a topic that it'd be difficult not to discuss, which is about the U.S. and Iran cyber relations um, in respect to what's been happening on a political scale, um, a geopolitical scale here. So let's start with simply from Tark's perspective, what organizations should be creating in terms of unique threat models for Iran, or if that is even the correct decision to make at this time. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good uh, that's a really good question to uh, kind of lead with. Um, so when it comes to these new reports uh, or new relations that we have with uh, different adversaries, different adversarial countries, you know, um, I think one of the most important things that any organization or any security practitioner should be doing is threat modeling. Always continuously looking at what threat modeling is and. Well, and, and then I'll, I'll kind of discuss in like uh, in deeper stages too. Um, should organizations be creating unique threat models for Iran? I think yes and no. Um, so let's start off the conversation with, do you even have a threat model for your company? Um, I think that's one important thing that a lot of security practitioners generally overlook. I think it's a lot more sexy and fun to jump right into, you know, uh, deploying antivirus software, fine-tuning your IDSs, and more fun things like that. But threat modeling is always a step number one that every organization should do. And there's a lot of different ones out there. You can follow Microsoft's Dread model. I generally kind of follow that one. And there's a handful of others out there, too. But number one, I think when it comes to Iran specifically, you should ask yourself, does your organization actually have any overlay or intersection with any Iranian infrastructure or businesses or even interests. So, for example, if you're defending a Saudi Arabian oil organization, you're definitely at risk here. Um, the you know Iranian-Saudi uh, Arabian relations have always kind of been uh, a little bit tense. And I think Chad probably will talk a little bit more about that too with like specific like cyber, uh, cyber attacks, cyber warfare against the Iranian or against Saudi Arabian interests. Um, so and another thing to keep in mind, too, is that, you know, even if you're not, when you're threat modeling yourself against like Iranian cyber threat actors, um, you may not be at risk or, you know, generally be involved with Iranian interests. But it's one thing to keep in mind, too, that uh, sophisticated adversaries are still pretty notorious for compromising non-related networks and still using those, those footholds to conduct additional attacks from. 
So you may not be uh, in the uh, target scope of uh, Iranian threat actors, but your infrastructure could still be leveraged to do attacks on their behalf. So, you know, once again, this is definitely low risk. Um, Another thing to keep in mind, too, is that Iranian threat groups, TTPs, the tools and tactics and procedures they use, uh, from my analysis, they're always relatively on the lower end of the sophisticated spectrum. You know, they do uh, ATOs are really common with Iranian threat groups, um, uh, account uh, takeover attacks, um, the Shamoon malware, which is just a simple like re-imaging wiper malware, DDoSing and spear phishing. So, you know, you're already when you're threat modeling Iranian threat groups, you should already have controls in place, hopefully. Um, that are able to tackle these kind of attacks um, because they're, you know, relatively low on the exploit side um, and very much just very fundamental attacks um, when it comes to things to defend. Uh, so organizations that are already threat modeling, um, you should already have your uh, security controls mapped out against these kind of attacks that should cover uh, generally any Iranian threat group. Fantastic points there, Tarek. And they remind me of our conversation actually with Liz Uh, the cyber analyst for the U.S. government that we had a while back now. And something that they mentioned is how important their geopolitical background is in their job as an analyst for the U.S. government, which makes a whole lot of sense considering what you just said when you're threat modeling, having that context is, in a sense, priority one in terms of defending your assets and, and understanding your relative risk, which is fantastic. Absolutely. Yep. So, Chad, we've got a little spoiler from from Tarek here, put a pen in it for you, but can you provide sort of a cliff note, uh, a cliff notes on the U.S.-Iranian cyber relations up until now? And are there any noteworthy attacks or tools that they leverage that folks listening should be aware of? So there's a lot to go on here. So I'm going to kind of, um, I'm going to run through it quick, uh, starting off with our major players. You know, we've got the NSA, CIA, U.S. Cybercom, of course. Um, but then from Iran, uh, just in case people aren't as familiar with uh, their groups, we have APT-33, which some people call Refined Kitten. Uh, it targets aviation, military, uh, energy groups. Um, and there's APT-35, which many call Charming Kitten. Uh, they target journalists, Persians who are living outside Iran, and government officials. Um, and there's also oil rig that's been reported on often by Unit 42. Uh, they're associated with, say, like the ISM door malware. Um, they reportedly were hacked by the Russian FSB um, recently and had some of their tools hijacked and used to target the Middle East. So that was interesting uh, mix up there. And there's also a whole slew of unsophisticated uh, defacement groups in Iran. You know, you've got the dark coders team, cyber fighters, cyber army, uh, you name it. And in general, the the tools that they're using, like Tarek said, are uh, a little less sophisticated than we would see from um, other nation state actors. So as far as a timeline goes, um, there's a couple of key events. It's been back and forth, little spats, um, of course, for a while. But uh, the U.S. has been performing cyber activities against Iran since about 2006 is what most people say. Uh, 2009 is when, of course, Stuxnet was discovered damaging the uh, Natanz, and I might have murdered that word, uh, uranium enrichment facility. Um, and then Iran has been operating itself since about 2009, probably in response to finding out about Stuxnet, uh, mostly targeting U.S. industry instead of government um, and military. Uh, their first big public defacement in 2009 was Twitter's homepage by the Iranian Cyber Army, um, which is you know, just a, a defacement in response to some protests that were happening there. Um, and then since 
2012, the U.S. is admitted to infecting Iranian computer networks for intelligence gathering. The flame virus is the first one um, that was uh, publicly reported to the Washington Post. Um, and, and Iran replied with uh, DDoS attacks against U.S. banks. Late 2012, also brought the Shamoon virus, the wiper that uh, uh, Tarek mentioned. Um, and that erased about three quarters of the Saudi Aramco computers um, and all the data replaced with a burning American flag, uh, which the Iran never claimed that, but the Americas um, basically blamed them for it. And then uh, lots of espionage uh, mixed with corporate attacks up until 2016 with some indictments of Iranian hackers and the resurgence of the Shamoon virus again, this time targeting more Saudi petrochemical plants and kind of culminating in an attempted attack to... Uh, used cyber operations to actually explode one of those petrochemical plants, which was uh, thwarted. It failed. So, and then in 2018, um, Iranian hackers crippled Atlanta city government network, um, and the U.S. warned that Iran was preparing for extensive attacks against the U.S. and EU governments, leading to an early 2019 report from FireEye of a corporate campaign uh, from Iran to steal login credentials, like Tarek had mentioned. Again, that's kind of their account takeover is uh, in their TTPs. And then Microsoft also came out to say that they had seen 200 companies in the last two years that have been breached by uh, hackers from Iran. Then uh, fast forward here to April 2019, um, things have kind of ramped up even more, and this is getting more and more to this tension that we have now. There's a defacement of Iranian data centers with um, American flags. Uh, then Tehran claimed that it dismantled a CIA espionage campaign. Then the big thing that we saw was in June, the U.S. conducted a massive cyber attack against Iran in retaliation for attacks against oil tankers in the strait um, and the downing of a U.S. drone. It appears that the June attack was actually a precursor to a physical attack, or at least that's what many people have uh, debated about and a lot of what the theory is, because why otherwise would the uh, U.S. Cybercom have released what their capabilities were? Um, and then again, in last September, there was an attack the U.S. carried out in response uh, to even more attacks on Saudi inf oil infrastructure. So this is kind of the, the pattern we see back and forth here is um, uh, attacks against Saudi infrastructure or uh, U.S. corporate infrastructure, and then the response from the U.S. So, uh, yeah. Just a few things you mentioned there. Yeah, those are those are the kind of big talking points. <laughs> <If I laughs> There's had... a lot of little things all littered in there with people indictments right. and whatnot, but yeah. The highlights, if you will. And if I had the opportunity to apply the fine print vocal product onto that and just have railed that out in like 15 seconds and do it as quickly as possible in like the bunny sped up version that would probably be the only way we could call that a cliff notes version so thank yeah. you for compiling <laughs> all that um, yeah well you know it's like stuxnet um city government shamoon june attack there done. you go even more cliff here <laughs> yeah <laughs> this time with more cliff well, let's get out of the mosh pit for a second and climb up to that balcony and talk about what this means for the future of cyber war. Okay. And we're going to jump off that balcony and go right to crowd surfing. Let's do it. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the, the future of war is interesting here with uh, how much cyber attacks are ramping up more and more. They're being used to discourage or outright avoid kinetic confrontations. Um We've definitely crested having more cyber operations than physical at this point since 
uh, Cyber War is a no-loss game in, in terms of you know body count, anyways. Um, I think with the elevated militaristic diction in the in the realm of cyberspace, uh, we're going to start seeing more physical attacks on cyber operations, like we saw with the hackers' offices in the Gaza Strip, um, which is a little it's a little bit scary. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more like drone strikes on data centers that had uh, malicious code running on servers, or or maybe even you know uh, other group other offices with hackers actually working in there. So uh, it's a weird space and cyber operations, I feel really remove the humanity from the situation, kind of gamifies the actions. Um, and then you tie that in with drone warfare, which already is kind of a, um, a removal from the, you know, the physical space. And it's all very easy to forget that it's just another nerd in a basement on the other end. Um, and I, I don't like that, but I, I'm hoping that there's smarter people putting sane rules of engagement into place for this whole new theater. Um, I think the scary thing, too, about that is the going back to threat intelligence and attribution. Um, you know, you're taking attribution nowadays and we are just trying to find out who did what. But now if we take it a step further and we're actually having, uh, you know, militaries uh, go out and execute and, and kill people based on attribution, that really takes the onus of how quality is your attribution data to a whole new level, which nowadays it's it's always very suspect. Oh, yeah. And how many times have I gotten or either of us gotten it wrong and then to look at it a little bit further? I can't imagine under pressure and then saying, you know, oh, it's these people. And then, and, you know, mm -hmm. an hour later with some more research, it goes, oh. Especially with like the attribution techniques out there, like, you know, code reuse is a really popular one. But, you know, when you open source software or leak software code on the public Internet, like that's you're muddling, you're muddling the waters pretty hardcore on what you can use as an attribution data point. And, you know, to get that wrong and take someone's life or multiple lives, that's it's going to be scary stuff. Yep. All great points. And before we move on from this topic, I'm wondering if I could hear from you, and you can repeat what you've already mentioned, but just one or two takeaways for our listeners to take back to their organization, because there's obviously a lot of different things defenders are keeping an eye out for. So I'll start with you, Chad. What are some things to take away? Um, I would say definitely threat model, like you know, Tark said, uh, it's always important. Um, and then you know, maybe uh, invest in the new hot technology office space sector of fortified bunkers. Um, good way to go. <laughs> the second is arguably the most actionable. Yeah, it's <laughs> the hot new startup space. It used to be you would be open office plan. Uh, this is the new. This is the antithesis of an open office plan. <laughs> Nobody cares about the window seat when you're underground. Yeah. <laughs> How cool of a sock would that be, though, to be in a bunker like that? Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. Also <laughs> terrifying. Yes, also terrifying, but kind of cool. It's basically like going to work here in Seattle uh, during the winter months. You know, <laughs> we show up, it's been dark. We leave, it's dark. <laughs> <laughs> There's no sneaking out of the office early for a doctor's appointment, though. Yeah, <laughs> you're in a bunker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, Jim, if you bring tuna again, I swear to God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that's true. The fish smell would just permeate throughout a bunker. Wood <laughs> Woof. Uh, for me, I think I think the biggest thing that I'd recommend to everybody is to always test your security controls. So when you hear about, you know, this Iranian threat group or any threat group for that matter, whatever kind of public data there is out there um, on the tools that they use or the um, the the methods they're using to do like lateral movement or exfiltration of data, I always recommend people take a look at your security controls and uh, try to test those techniques out on your own infrastructure and see if you're able to pick up, you know, those kind of uh, signals. 
Um, it's always good to continuously test and using intelligence to do so. So I definitely recommend people doing that. That way you can comfortably tell your executives, hey, if we did get involved with this type of attack by this threat actor, we generally speaking should be okay or a risk of um, you know, uh, not detecting it is pretty low. Great points. And so this leads us to the hoodie score. And I know this is it's always difficult to get our arms around what this number really means. But in this case, let's talk about it in the context of what's happened in the last few weeks from a geopolitical perspective. And if you're an average organization, how concerned should you be on that scale again from zero to 10 hoodies? You know, uh, I'm going to go ahead and give this one a speaking from for the general, just general public that you're really not falling under that umbrella of doing business with, you know, the Iranian organ, any kind of Iranian asset or organization, you know, generally speaking, this should be like a five or six out of 10. Um, It shouldn't dramatically affect your organization too much. Obviously, if you fall under that purview, though, I mean, this goes, this is pretty serious stuff. And, uh, you know, I would treat it with higher, like if I were to triage it, I'd bump it up to like a solid nine or 10 if I fell under those kind of uh, under that purview. Yeah, I'd maybe even go a little bit lower and do three out of ten. Um, I'd say, you know, knowing what I know, I don't really see uh, Iran doing lots of uh, exploit development. There's not going to be anything that, um, you know, it's not like a Mirai botnet is going to come out of there or something. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, w- I would I would rate it pretty low. Excellent. Well, thank you both for your thoughts in this open dialogue we've had. I know this is a slightly more serious note than we typically take with the podcast. Um, let's move on though to our second article of the week, which is. Chinese company ticks off national security agencies. So in the last few months, we have seen evidence of the potential risks embedded within the TikTok application. Um, For those who don't know, this is the new social media for the kids. Um, I was not aware. Apparently, Chad's up and hip with this this stuff. Super hip. (laughs) So it's been acknowledged uh, by others in the industry as well. But according to USA Today... Uh, The U.S. Navy banned the use of the application for its personnel, while an article by The Guardian, senior Democrat Chuck Schumer says the TikTok app app poses potential national security risk. Um, Someone from The New York Times published that TikTok is under national security review, and most recently CNET.com reported that the U.S. Army banned TikTok from use on government phones. So they reversed their policy on the entertainment app, which uh, it was recently used actually as a recruiting tool. Uh, And so before we get into this, I want to tell a really bad clock pun. Do I have both of your support? Go for it. How, pray tell, do you know a clock is hungry? How's that? It goes back four seconds. Just let that sink. I hate that so in. much. <laughs> then I feel like I've succeeded. <laughs> All right, Chad, back to the important things. So, in recent months, Checkpoint Research discovered multiple vulnerabilities within TikTok. So, what exactly did they find? So, it's it's lots of bad, like really embarrassingly bad. Um, I didn't realize just how widespread this app is, too. You know, I had kind of seen it in the periphery. Um, but I, I noticed uh, maybe about a month ago on the train, if I if I looked up and through all the people on the on the train uh, that were staring at their phones, um, I would see anyone under 25 was no longer on Instagram but on TikTok. Um, so that means there's a lot of vulnerable users out there. And, and the total is they have 500 million active daily users um, around the world, which is huge. So um, 
for these vulnerabilities, um, there were several in conjunction that um, could be used to do more. Um, but like, like for instance, um, you know, it's a lot of times it's stringing multiple vulnerabilities together to achieve what you're trying to do. In the instance of Chrome, usually you're, you know, stringing five or six, seven things together um, to achieve some end. Um, at this point, anyways, with how good it's gotten. So, um, yeah, it's. They were several vulnerabilities that made very easy chaining together to uh, do user takeover. Yes, and like you mentioned, there were quite a few. So I'm curious which you consider to be the most critical of those vulnerabilities. So uh, the one I found, it all kind of hinges on this SMS link spoofing. Um, so from the TikTok website, you can send a legitimate message from TikTok with a link of your choice. Um, to either a website or say an APK or whatever. So uh, there's also open redirect on their login page, um, which is only validated on making sure that the domain ends in TikTok.com. So you can redirect to malicious-TikTok.com if you want to register that. Um, and then couple that with a cross-site scripting vulnerability on the ads portion of their site. Um, and you're basically able to string all of those together where if anyone clicks on the SMS link that you send them, um, looking like it's officially from TikTok, uh, you can create videos, delete videos, make followers, expose sensitive user data, you name it. So That is not great. And yeah. has this, to the knowledge of the folks at Checkpoint, have any of those vulnerabilities been exploited in the wild at this point? Um, from what I could find, it looks like no. Um, so... Yeah, I guess no. <laughs> Hopefully no. Hopefully no. Isn't that the anthem of info security? Hopefully no. <laughs> so Chad, as a user and as someone who's clearly very hip, hence Black Beanie, um, can you weigh the risks of this hot social app with the privacy concerns just discussed? With all of this in mind, do you think the hype is worth this potential threat? Um, so I'll, I'll preface by saying that TikTok has released fixes to all those vulnerabilities from Checkpoint. And I guess from what I take, um, judging by the update on the Checkpoint's blog, that they responded pretty quickly to those. Um, but I don't really like the extent of the permissions in app like TikTok requests on my phone. I've got too much of my life uh, stuffed into there. But also that said... TikTok isn't for you and me. It's the social app for the younger generation. You know, it's every couple of years the there's something new that's made where um, all of the parents had hopped on the old uh, social media app and all the kids run to the next one. Um, that's just going to kind of keep being the way it goes. Um, and they are less concerned about the paranoia of what permissions that app asks for and more concerned about the social features. So um, it's... People are going to download it either way, especially with the momentum of 500 million other active users. That really felt like a tricks are for kids kind of moment there, Chad. Yeah. Point taken. Point taken. We're not the proper demographic, but great points. So I guess let's just end with, are there any words of wisdom you can offer people who still choose to use this app or potentially have people in their life, like their kids or family members that do use it? Yeah, I would... Um... 
you know, not click any random links that get sent to you, certainly. Um, but uh, I would monitor permissions on all apps uh, that are always requested, especially on any sort of update. Um, and then two, you know, especially if you're on an Android phone, um, any weird APKs that are suggested um, or apps, you know, to go and download that, uh, even if it's from the Play Store, because that's pretty much a malware playground at this point, um, just don't install it um, if anything pops up. But yeah, there's there's not a lot you can do, so... Well, Tarek, now that you've heard Chad's whole distillation of this particular article, what would you rate this at, hoodie-wise? You know, um, so it was responsibly disclosed, which is good. But at the same time, I think it's poking holes into the underlying, kind of what you were talking about, Chad, the concerns of you know social media and, and the amount of data that we hold on our phones. Um, it sounds like this is also, correct me if I'm wrong, Chad, this only affects Android devices? Um. Oh, no, I, I don't know, actually. Um, I would assume because it's at least the way that the the description sounds, that it's only affecting Android devices if um, APKs are getting dropped. Um, but maybe that's also part of the proof of concept is that they're just showing that you can arbitrarily send links to APKs and stuff like that. Yep. Um, oh, yeah, it's any, any link can be sent. So that's a malicious page, that's a you name it. Yeah, I wonder what kind of data you can cross-site script to from the application running in a sandbox on Androids and iOS devices. I'm really not sure what you can access, but you can at least do phishing through it. So with that in mind, I would probably give this one a good solid 7 out of 10, 6 out of 10. What do you think, Chad? Yeah, I'd, I'd be in agreement with that. I mean, yeah, there's sandboxing on phones is getting better and better. Um, yeah, 7 out of 10. Why not? A 7 out of 10 and a Six and a half. It's the same score that I would give your joke. Uh, I'll actually take that (laughs) as a win, frankly. (laughs) Wait, we're talking about the clock joke, right? (laughs) Yeah. Is What is 10 in the zero out of 10 for the pun scale for you? Is that like I will throw this table out of the room out of anger and disgust? I need a physical groan and maybe (laughs) like a small tear out of one eye. (laughs) Uh, I think for some people, it's to stop breathing for a certain number of seconds out of disgust. Like because they wish they were dead? or Just they like stop blinking and they all the bodily functions just kind of shut down for a moment because mm. they're like, how can I forget what just happened? We've yeah. all been there. Yeah, we really have. Well, thank you for all that hard work, both you, for both of the discussions we've had today. But let's move into two truths and a lie. Oh, my favorite. Ooh. And just a quick reminder here for our audience, this is just taking the classic game of two truths and a lie with a slight spin to it. My goal is to trick these two and make sure they do not guess the lie. They don't sniff it out. So I'm going to read three article titles, two of which are actual true article titles. And then I will let you two guess. And if I am able to trick either of you, I get a point for each trickery. And then if either of you guess properly, then you get a point. Do you want to update the audience on how much of a lead I am in for this? No, I would actually, I would, I, I would prefer to set that score to zero okay. for twenty. You know, just for twenty twenty New Year. Oh, so it's I actually won. my New Year's resolution to reset the score <laughs> <laughs> for this game, so I can feel better about myself. <laughs> Fair enough. So you're the twenty nineteen world champion. There I, you go. I am, we'll Thank get you. you a belt. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's going on my CV now, guys. <laughs> Thanks. Let me update my LinkedIn profile. (laughs) 
I'll endorse you for that, for sure. Endorsed for spotting lies. <laughs> <laughs> seems like actually a very healthy skill in this industry. It is, yeah. Well played. Okay. All right, so here they are. I got three for you. Fake Star Wars streaming sites steal fans' credit cards. That's number one. Number two. Facebook sues company for hijacking accounts to run bad ads. And number three. Two-year-long phishing scam impersonates fictional character Ron Swanson from NBC series Parks and Recreation. Does anybody need me to read them again? I wrote them down, but you could say them again. Chad, are you good? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Right. Who would like to guess first? Uh, we. I think Chad <laughs> All right. should go for it. Um, I'm going to go with Star Wars streaming sites as being fake. Okay. I'm going with the Ron Swanson. All right. Can I get a drum roll? Gosh darn it, Target's too good at this game. It's the <laughs> Ron Swanson. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, wow, you are I correct. Wow, I that was weird enough to be uh, correct. Yeah, you know, you want to hear my thought how weird I really am. Okay. <laughs> I know you, Kelsey. Uh, not only do I know you, but uh, it just it just reeked of fishiness. I think Ooh. it did. It just it was so fishy. Did you social engineer my lie? Mm. You know I like Parks and Recreation. I love Parks and Rec. It's so good. I, I love it. I, I wish it was real. I'll be honest with you. That'd be kind of hilarious, but unfortunate. If Anyway, I have a lot of feelings about it. See, and I figured all <laughs> streaming sites just either drop some malware mm-hmm. or they, you know, no one's trying to get your credit card. They're usually just trying to like get you on their Bitcoin botnet. Mm. Bitcoin but botnet. But not this one. Yeah. <laughs> not this time. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. wow, so I've got a million points tight. Tark has one point in 2020. That's all that needs to matter in this moment. And I have one point. Sorry, Chad. That's, wow, <laughs> just dishing out points. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, but you'll be back next week. Chad will be with us again. He'll be two out of two for 2020. It's a lot of twos. Yeah. feels like good luck. So he'll have another chance. In fact, I think next week it will be Chad's turn yes. to try to trick us too. And I'm very much looking forward to some tomfoolery from you. I'm actually a little bit intimidated by your tomfooleriness. I think you're going to be really good at this. Now they're all going to be serious. He's going to play some mind games. Oh, mm. yeah. That's the real trick is to make them all true. That's <laughs> we'll go over and the rules tomorrow. In the next week, we will describe the rules to Chad. <laughs> and with that, it's all we have this week. But I just want to thank everybody for joining us today. Happy 2020. And we'll see you again next week on Breaking Badness. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.